need anyone else. We don't need anything else. Just give us Jesus. Give us him. And thanks be to God, if you are a Christian, you have him. You have him. He is yours. And you are his. Well, good afternoon once again, church family and friends. Uh, It's a joy to be together this afternoon to to worship King Jesus. If you have a Bible, let me get you to turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It's where we're going to be. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and let us know and we'll uh, get one to you. And if you are new to the Bible, that's okay. Uh, Feel free to look in the table of contents to to find where we are. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And we've started this new series uh, because Christians at that time, in biblical times, were being persecuted. They were suffering, right? And Peter writes to encourage them in their suffering. He reminds them of who they are, so Christians, right? And then he reminds them of whose they are, Christ. Whose they are, Christ. And so we we spent some time looking at this last week as we kicked off the series and opened up the letter. And with the, the suffering, our church body has experienced over the last year and six months or so, it seemed appropriate to, to walk through the book of First Peter together in hopes, just like how Peter wrote to the Christians there, that we too would find encouragement in Christ in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our challenges. So with that, let me, let me pray for us as we turn our attention to God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for how you've already been working in our time this afternoon, God, that uh, you have been working through uh, the singing of your word, you have been working through uh, the reading of your word, the praying of your word, and now, Lord, we ask that you would work, as we know you will, through the preaching of your word and through the listening and hearing of your word. So now, would you hide me behind the cross? Would you increase and uh, may I decrease and may... uh, yeah, Lord, believers among us, may they be edified. May we all be edified and encouraged in our time. And for those who may not know you yet, may they come to know you uh, through uh, the preaching of your word. And God, as we uh, are reminded this afternoon of just our body, uh, just um, yeah, folks within our body, Lord, and even as we're going to dive into your word, God, I just pray for all of us as a church body. Uh, that we would find hope, Lord. that we would find hope, that we would continue to find hope, Lord, in the midst of different trials we're experiencing right now among us, Lord, and those who may not be with us right now, Lord, um, Lord different trials in marriages and uh, families, Lord, um, hard things that are happening, Lord, Lord, as even Sister Nikki was praying, as we were just singing that last song, that, that we want you, Jesus, that, that you are our one thing, you are our one person, and that uh, that even over depression, Lord, even over anxiety that is prevalent in our body and in our world, 
God, that we might find hope, Lord, in the midst of our bouts with depression and anxiety. Lord, that we might find hope, Lord, as we struggle with sin, all of us, as we seek to fight sin. Lord, that we might find hope, Lord, as we grieve the loss of loved ones. Even this past week, uh, me and my family uh, grieving the loss of uh, Jesse's grandmother. And so, Lord, would you grant hope? Would you grant peace, Lord, and comfort, Lord? For others in our body, Lord, continue to grieve as well the loss of loved ones and friends. Be our hope, Lord. Be our hope. Be our strength as we know you are. And God, lastly, I'm reminded of Bluegrass Community Church, Lord, in Lexington, Kentucky, Lord, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, who uh, is a newer church plant, Lord, and part of the Creek Collective, Lord, and uh, how they are celebrating the baptism, or have already celebrated the baptism uh, today, Lord, as they gather. So we praise you, Lord, for the gospel work, Lord, of new churches that are being planted. Uh, in D.C. and all throughout the world, Lord, we praise you, God, for uh, these new converts, Lord, who have come to know you by faith and who declare their faith uh, publicly uh, by being baptized. As you, O oh Lord Jesus, were baptized, uh, model for us uh, that we, too, as Christians, should follow in your example. So, Lord, we thank you for the saints there. We pray, God, that you will be with uh, Pastor Nestor there and others, Lord, uh, leading this work, and that you would continue to keep them, and uh, that you would add daily to those that are in the city, and continue to uh, glorify yourself in them and through the work. Lord. Keep the work, sustain the work, and bless the work. And now, Lord, we pray just again, bless the preaching of the word. And may your word do the work in all of our hearts, how you see them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, reads as follows. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is God's word, amen? Amen. So if you're taking notes this afternoon, just have two points for you guys. Here's point number one. It should pop up on the screen as well. Number one, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. And we'll see that in verse three. And a few subpoints that you see on the screen there. But then number two, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. You'll see uh, some subpoints there as well. You'll we'll see that in verses four through five. So number one, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. Look back with me at verse three. Here's what it reads. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So first off, Peter 
And as we looked at this last week, after reminding the Christians he's writing to that they have been chosen by God, right? We looked at that. We walked through biblical elections some last week, but that they have been chosen by God, elected by God, and that they are foreigners or exiles in their land and exiles spiritually according to the work of the triune God. Right? This is all the court. This wasn't a work that was devoid of God. It was a work that was done by God, by the triune God, as we saw last week. In that, they were chosen exiles according to the foreknowledge of God, in sanctification by the Spirit, and then lastly, obedience to Jesus and being sprinkled with his blood. So Peter, after walking through, as we spent last week, walking through these wondrous teachings, these beautiful doctrines that we walked through last week, after him doing that, he breaks out into praise. He breaks out into a praise. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter here sets the tone. He, he, he blesses God. And essentially what he's doing is that he is praising him and he's adoring him for all that he is and for all that he has done. Do you just bless God when you reflect on how he saved you? You just have moments, whether you're in the car riding or whether you're here gathering at church or whether you're at home or work, wherever you might be. You just have moments where you just reflect on where God has brought you from. And you just begin to bless him. You begin to just praise him. Because he's brought you from a mighty long way. He's brought me from a, a mighty long way. And we just need to bless him. And glorify him. And sing praises to him. Do you ever just do that? From Peter's example here, we, we should. If we aren't already, we should. This should be a, a natural pattern for us. That we should just bless God. Adore him for who he is and for what he has done. And we do that more and more. Notice here that Peter, also in the text, he distinguishes between the Father and the Son. Right? So last week, as we looked at verses 1 through 2, we saw that the Trinity was present there. Right? We see that as we walked through it more in depth last week, but that the Father and that the Son and that the Holy Spirit are all mentioned in the work of salvation, right? So as Christians, we believe that God has displayed himself in Trinity. He's triune, right? That, that it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, three distinct persons, one God, right? One essence, one being, one God, but displayed in three distinct persons. And you see that? Very prevalent in verses 1 through 2. But then as we are in our text this afternoon, we see that the father and son are mentioned. Him again showing the two persons of the Trinity in this case. Right. And we'll see the spirit mentioned again later in chapter one. But what, what is Peter blessing God for? What are the reasons that Peter is blessing God for? If you look back down at the text, he's blessing God. He's praising God. Because God's mercy is great. Because God's mercy is great. You see that in the text? It's right there, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? According to his great mercy. He's praising God 
for his mercy. He's blessing God for his mercy that he has caused us, Christians then and Christians today, that he's caused us to be born again. Let me pause right there. He's caused us to be born again, right? Notice how uh, we saw in the introduction of the letter last week that we are not in control of our salvation. And we're not in control of any aspect of our salvation. The reality of it is, is that none of us could save ourselves, right? We couldn't save ourselves. We needed Jesus, who is the Savior, to save us out of our mess, out of our sin. And he gladly, lovingly does that to all who turns from their sin and turn to him, right? And that it's first according to his great mercy that we are saved. Right? Mercy, as you may already know this, mercy meaning us not getting what we deserve. That's what the word mercy means. That we, we don't get what we deserve, right? We all deserve to not have a relationship with God. But yet, God has made that possible. Right? We all deserve God's judgment because of our sin. But in Christ, if you are in Christ, Jesus took your judgment. He took my judgment. He took our punishment on himself that we all deserve according to the mercy of God. That's amazing. That's beautiful news. It's just like how Paul bigs up God's mercy. So he bigs up God's mercy uh, in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Here's what he says. Here he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So Peter, like, Peter, like how Peter is doing here, Paul did doing this in Ephesians, just bringing up God's mercy. God's mercy is great. God's mercy is unchanging. God's mercy, as I love and, 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 and say all the time and pray all the time, we, we thank God for his new morning mercy. He grants us new mercies every day. So this is God's mercy. And it's according to his mercy that we are born again to a living hope. That we are born again to a living hope. That phrase, born again, as you may already know, doesn't mean being physically born again, right? That's impossible. Right? None of us can be physically born again, right? It means being born again spiritually, right? To be born again spiritually. It's a spiritual birth that Peter is talking about. It's, it's the same phrase that Jesus uses in John 3, right? In the Gospel of John 3, verses 3 through 8, Here's Jesus answering Nicodemus, who was a religious teacher of the time, and uh, he knew his stuff, right? He comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus questions about how to follow him. And here's how Jesus responds. He says in verse three, he says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, 
he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right? So we hear Jesus here defining what born again means. And what we learn from John 3, what we learn from Jesus here, is that born again means the following few things, right? That one, you must be born again to enter into God's kingdom. You must be born again to enter into God's kingdom, right? Again, not a physical birth, because that's impossible, but a spiritual birth. In that, when you hear the gospel, and God allows you to hear the gospel, he himself saves you, he puts his spirit in you, and there he causes a spiritual birth that is supernatural that you and I couldn't do for ourselves. In that he saves you. That the old life is dead. Right? You died. Like, I died to the old Josh who did a whole lot of things back in my day. <laughs> did a lot of dirt. I was a kid. Uh, did a whole lot of different things. Right? I died to that. Right? And I was raised to a new life. Just like every other Christian in this room. You died to your old ways that were sinful. And you are raised to a new life, right? Number two, and as I already kind of alluded to, it's a supernatural birth. It's a supernatural birth. The spirit is the one who makes you born again. We can't make ourselves born again. It's a supernatural, a divine, powerful work that only God himself can do. Okay? And then lastly, the spirit is the one who grants new life. And he does this when he pleases, with whom he pleases. Right. right? So this is what it means to be born again. That you, Christian, have been born again. That you have a new life. That your old life is done away with. Right? The new life is here now. That you are a new creation in Christ. Said Corinthians 5, 7, the old life has passed over. You are done with your old simple ways. Now, your simple ways might still pop up. We all still struggle with our old simple selves, where our sin still tries to perk up and tries to, you know, take control or, or lure us, you know what I mean, to, to do those particular things. And the enemy himself, Satan himself, uh, trying to uh, encourage us to, you know, go off the rails. But the Bible also calls us to die to that. The Bible calls us to, to die to our old selves. That we are to daily be crucifying our old flesh. And when I say crucify, when I say die to self, it's what the Lord Jesus tells us in passages like Luke 9.23 or Luke 14 or even Romans 8, uh, where we are to uh, basically put to death what's earthly in us. To put to death, not by our own selves or our own spirit or our own strength, excuse me, but to put that to death by his spirit. And to walk in the life that God has for us, that he has won for us. So we do that. 
trust him by his spirit. Our text continues to say, not only are Christians born again, but they are born again to a living hope. Right? Christians in the room, you and I have a living hope, not a dead hope. We have a living hope, not a dead hope. The world has a dead hope, which is no hope at all. We were once those who had no hope. But according to God's mercy, you and I have been granted hope. According to his mercy, non-Christian friend, I know you probably didn't come today uh, thinking you would hear from a pastor that would say, hey, you, you have no hope, right? You're right. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're into. I don't, I don't know your life in particular. But hear this in love as I say this, that it isn't my word, but it's God's word. It's God himself who is saying this to all who are outside of him. And that was true of all of us who are now in Christ, that at one time we were outside of God and we too had no hope. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul here, the Apostle Paul here, uh, talking to Gentiles, non-Jews, Christians, uh, and, and all of us who were uh, before we knew the Lord, and those of you who may not know the Lord, fitting this description. Here it says, it says, Ephesians 2.12, it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Non-Christian friend, Christians in the room, this was the description we all fit. Those of us who know Jesus now, this was us before we knew Jesus. For those of you who may not know Jesus, this is you right now. That God's word here is saying that you are separated from him. That you are separated and alienated from all of the things that are in him, that we find in him, the blessedness that we find in him, the relationship that we find in him. And that, sadly, you are living with no hope without God in the world. And the reality of it is, is that, my non-Christian friend, is that you, like all of us, are sinners. That you were created in the image of God after his likeness, but that you are fallen. We are fallen. That you are a sinner. And because of your sin, you would, if you were to die in your sin, you would be eternally separated from a loving God. But the good news is that Jesus came, who is God, to live a life that you and I can never live. He lived a perfect sinner's life in complete obedience to God, pleasing fully to God, living a life in your place and in my place. And he dies a death that you and I deserved on the cross for our sin. He dies that death 
He's in a grave. But on the third day, he is raised from the dead to do what? To offer you hope. To offer me hope. To offer us salvation from our sins and from the wrath that is to come. That non-Christian friend that is abiding over your head right now. He came, he lived, and he died, and he rose to, to remove God's wrath from abiding over your head. The Bible says if you will repent, if you were to turn away, that's what that word means, to turn away from sin, to turn away from all of the things that God hates because it's unpleasing to him. And to turn to him by faith, by trust, belief. The Bible says that you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And that's what we want to offer out to you, non-Christian. That Jesus in his love comes to live and die and rise in your place so that you might know him and experience the hope that he desires for you to have in him. So turn to him. I plead with you, turn to him. Trust him. You would like to learn more about what that means, what that might look like for you to start your journey with Jesus? Come and see me after the service. It would be my joy to talk with you. Talk with any other Christian in the room. It would be their joy to, to talk with you and to, to help you start your journey in the world. Amen. Notice lastly that this hope comes, as I just was walking through, it comes only and in and through Jesus, his resurrection. Right? You see that in the text? That it comes through the Lord Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. The reality of it is, if, if, if Jesus died and didn't get up from the grave like he said he would, then it's a wrap like Reynolds for all of us. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's a wrap. It's a wrap for all of us. Like, like, if he died and didn't get up, it's a wrap. It's over for us. This is what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, in verse 17 and 19, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Verse 18, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So, so believers who have gone home to be with the Lord, who are resting, they too have fallen asleep, but have perished, right? Verse 19, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He is basically saying that Jesus died like he said he would, but he said he would rise from the dead, and he didn't rise from the dead. That we have no faith. That people for 2,000 or so years now who have given their lives to Jesus, who have been living their lives in devotion to him and telling others to do the same, that we have no hope. <laughs> that all of that was null and void. That it wasn't worth it. That us coming here this afternoon isn't worth it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And that we, as he says here in the last verse of 19, he says, 
if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have just hope in this life alone and not the next life that is to come, then we are to be the most pitied. We are to be pitied. But we echo the same declaration that Paul does in the next verse. Listen to the next verse, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Paul there, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What this means, Christian, is that we have hope. We have a living hope. Our hope is not dead. It is living. And this hope is in the Lord Jesus. And it's in a hope, in a life that is to come, in a new heavens and a new earth that is to come. And we are not just hoping in this life now. We are hoping in a life that is to come. That's going to be better. And that's going to be for us that God is giving us those who know him. Do you have that hope this afternoon? Are you believing in that hope this afternoon? This is the hope we have. It's a living hope. Not a dead one. It's a living one. And this is good news. So when we Christians continue to believe this good news and Non-Christian, may you believe this good news and come to it. So that's point one. We have a living hope. Number two, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Look back with me at verse four. It says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is an inheritance? I know you may know this. It's, it's, it's when, as one commentator puts it, he says, it's, it's when wealth is passed down or a legacy uh, one receives as a member of a family. Right? It's when wealth is passed down or a legacy that one receives uh, from a family member. Right? We, we know that, maybe. Right? We, we, we know that. You may have or you may know someone who has received an inheritance. Okay? In the Old Testament, we see God's covenant people, uh, the people of Israel, uh, receiving an inheritance. So you think about passages like Numbers 26, 53 to 56. I'm going to read it. It says, Numbers 26, 53 to 56, it says, Among these, the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe, you shall give a large inheritance. And to a small tribe, you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list. But the land shall be divided by lot. According to the names of the tribes of their fathers, they shall inherit. Their inheritance shall be divided according to a lot between the larger and the smaller. So this is just one of, of many examples where we see in the Old Testament uh, that the people of Israel had an earthly inheritance. Essentially the land, right? That they were given. They were, they were given an inheritance, right? In the New Testament, 
one commentator puts it, I love how he puts it, he says, Peter told his readers that just as Israel received an earthly inheritance, the land of Canaan, so the church receives a spiritual inheritance in heaven. Right? And he lists some scriptures there for reference. And he continues to say, the apostle reminded them that in the midst of their persecution, they ought to praise God and patiently wait for his promised eternal inheritance. So passages like this, we want to write them down. 1 Peter 4.13, Matthew 24.13, Hebrews 12.2-3, Romans 6.18, and so forth and so forth. Right? That the church has been given, the people of God, you Christian in this room, has been given an eternal inheritance. Okay? Peter lets us know a few things off gate about this inheritance, about this inheritance that we, we have. The first one is that it's what? Imperishable. See that in the text? That this inheritance is imperishable. This means that the believer's inheritance is indestructible. It's indestructible, right? That it can't be destroyed. That it can't be corrupted. That it won't die. Unlike the Israelites' earthly inheritance, or if any of us in the room, or any of us who may know folks who have an inheritance, uh, just like those inheritances, uh, the earthly ones, uh, can be destroyed, our spiritual inheritance as Christians can't. Can't be touched. Can't be destroyed. Next, our inheritance is undefiled. Right? This means that it's not tainted. Our inheritance is, is, is not tainted or it's is not dirty or polluted by sin, right? Now, we, we, we know that since the fall of Adam and Eve, that everything and everyone has been tainted by sin, right? I mean, this is even what Paul speaks to in Romans 8, 20 through 22, talking about the, the earth itself. Everyone and everything has been tainted by sin. Listen to Romans 8. 20 through 22, he says, For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. But we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So essentially what this means is that like we are groaning or looking, desiring, wanting uh, a better life. Like we know that this life right here has some good things, has some blessedness, yeah. But it's, it's, it's not what it's all going to be. There is something better that is to come for Christians where there is no sin, where there's no death, right? Well, in the same way that we groan and we are longing for that, the earth itself is groaning for that. This is what Paul is saying here in Romans 8. That the earth itself, creation itself is groaning, wanting to be recreated, <laughs> to be new, to be made new, right? Or even in John, 1 John 5.19, John there says, the Apostle John says, he says, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Right? So this, this, this world, even as Ephesians 2 tells us, 
there's a there's a prince of the power of the air, right? Satan, who is at work in this world, and lies in the power of the evil one, right? And so when we think about an earthly inheritance, uh, that that earthly inheritance is defiled. It's defiled. It's tainted. It's corrupted by sin. But not the Christian's inheritance. Not the inheritance of the saints. The inheritance of the saints, the eternal inheritance of the saints, is one that is perfect. And one that is not polluted by sin. One that is not tainted or corrupted by sin. Think about Colossians 1.12. Paul there says, he says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We have an inheritance that is of the light. That is of the Father. That is of God. So not only is our inheritance imperishable, undefiled, but lastly, it's unfading. It's unfading. This means it will not fade away, right? This phrase, unfading or not fade away, was used in secular Greek to describe a flower that did not wither or die, right? It was used in secular Greek uh, writings there to describe a flower that did not wither or die. In other words, the believer's inheritance will never lose its shine. Our eternal inheritance will never lose its shine. It will never lose its glory. This isn't like when you buy a new car, right? And it's, it's all shiny and clean at first. And, you know, when you first get it, you know what I mean? It's, it's the talk of the friend group for a while, right? Like, oh, yeah, you got a new car. Oh, yeah, that drone is tight, man. I see you. I see the wheels spinning. They clean. I see you. It, it, ain't, it ain't like that. And all of a sudden, if a neighbor accidentally hits it or bumps it or something, right, you got a bump in it now. You got to get that fixed. Or if it gets dirty, you roll in some mud. You know what I mean? You got to get it clean. It gets rugged. It gets messed up, right? Inside and outside. It, it, it's not like a car who loses its shine after a while, right? That loses its newness. Essentially, it gets old, right? Not with our inheritance in Jesus. Not with our inheritance in Jesus. It will never fade. It will never get old. It will always, it will always be spick and spent. That's our inheritance in Jesus. Think about Luke 12, 33 here, speaking about that. It says, Jesus there says, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Do you hear that this afternoon? Christian, we have a glorious inheritance. That's indestructible. And it gets better. It gets better. Look back at the text to see more about this glorious inheritance. It gets better, right? Well, number one, if you look down at the text, it's kept in heaven for us. This, this 
this inheritance is kept in heaven. You see that in verse 4? The end of verse 4 it says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for us. This is one of many places in this book that we'll see this, and you may have heard this, this, this already but not yet aspect of our salvation, right? This, this, this already but not yet aspect of our salvation. In other words, what this means is, is that if you are a Christian, you have been saved, past tense. You've been saved, right? Past tense, that's done. That's, that's, that's done, unchanging, boom, right? That's past tense. But you are also being saved, future tense. You are being saved, future tense. We see that at the end of verse 5, where we'll get to in just a sec. But when the text here is saying that our inheritance is being kept in heaven, again, it's referring to our eternal inheritance, our eternal reward that we'll receive on the last day, right? But the reality of it is, again, to speak to that already but not yet, we've been given the inheritance, right? We have the inheritance at conversion when you were saved. You receive the inheritance, right? You have the inheritance. That's done. That's unchanging. But it will be fully and completely realized when we get to heaven. On that day, as we will look at, you know, the end of verse 5 as it talks about it. We'll look at that a little more in a second. So our earthly inheritance, if you have one or you know someone who has one or da da da, ain't got nothing on our eternal inheritance if you are a Christian. And we shouldn't be storing up any treasures here anyway. Right? Whether that's inheritances, <clears throat> whether as think about you know relationships, jobs, whatever that might be, we can't think on those things. Right? We can't we can't store up any treasure, we can't stack up our money. I know. You know, a lot of songs I used to listen to, you know, I mean, in the world and even as I was in the world and rapping and stuff then, like, that's all we talked about, right? We talked about stacking up money, right? We had to, we had to get our money up, right? Or we talked about <clears throat> whatever it might have been, right? All these different things. We talked about all those different things, right? And gloried in those things. And I know a lot of rappers are still doing that today. But the reality of it is, whether a rapper or a singer or whomever it might be, Ain't none of that going with you. Ain't none of that going with us when we die. It doesn't matter if a person is in the casket and we put, you know, rolls of money in that. We put, you know, phone, we put shoes, we put whatever that might be, whatever those things were that we might have liked and loved and tried to stack up in this earth. It's not going with us. It won't go with us. And Jesus has something to say about that in Matthew 6. So just, I read it before the sermon, but he says this in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if your treasures are here in this life, in this world, in this city, 
and you're trying to stack up as much as you can and do all these different things uh, because you're trying to prepare for, you know, I mean, a, a, a life of a, a life. You know, what I'm saying for the years to come. And I'm not saying that all of that essentially, in some ways, isn't bad. Like we want to prepare, we want to plan, we want to be responsible. So I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is, is that if your hope is in that. If your hope is in those things, if your trust is in those things, then those things will fail you. Those things will not provide the hope, as we've been talking about living hope, that you are in need of, that we are in need of. Jesus makes it clear here. Where your treasure is, your heart is also there. We want our treasure to be with him. Amen? We want our treasure to be with him. And that has everything to do with what we do in this life. With our time, with our talents, and our treasures. That has everything to do with what we do here as a Christian. So what are we giving our time to? What are we giving our money to? What are we using our talents for? One, it, all of that comes from God, who's given it to us. So why not give it back to him? Why not give it back to him? And continue to make your life count for him. So that others might see and also want to make their lives count for him. Are you living for treasures here in this earth? Or are you living for the treasures, for the glories, for the beauty, for the joy, for the hope, for the satisfaction we'll experience in heaven with God? And where do you fall on that spectrum? Pray that we all are on this spectrum. That we are seeking to have our treasures heavenwardly, our hearts heavenwardly. May that be true for all of us. And let me ask you this: Do you think about heaven? How often do you, Christian, think about heaven? How often do you talk about heaven? May I suggest that I don't think we do, others do. I don't think we think about it or talk about it as much as we should. Not like the biblical saints, right? Or our ancestors who were Christian. Or even... The saints when you and I were growing up, right? Even the, 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 the old saints, our family members and, and, and friends and whatnot, right? I remember my mom and her and, you know, Christian friends who would be over at the house. Uh, even the church, you know, we attended when I was younger. I remember in, in other settings where they talked about heaven a lot. They talked about heaven a lot. A lot. They talked about it like they really wanted to go there. Like they really wanted to be there. 
that 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 that's where they were heading, where they were longing for. Not here. Not earth here, not not here on this earth. It talked about heaven like y'all, like this is where I want to be. This is where I am heading if I'm a Christian. Right? I mean, I even think about it, it just it just it just reminds me even in the church, right? And some of you guys, I'm sure you may have experienced it too. I remember even in the church, right? You would hear the musicians starting to cue the music, right? When they talking about heaven, right? Cueing the music, getting us ready, right? And excited about heaven. They would say, a place where the streets are paved with gold, right? You would hear those types of things. And you would you would, as a non-Christian, sitting in the audience, sitting in the pew. I was intrigued about heaven. I didn't have saving faith, but I also was like, man, that like the way they're talking about it, the way they're preaching about it, the way they're saying things like this about heaven, and obviously in comparison to hell, <laughs> right? I remember also being in those settings where you would hear fire and brimstone, and it scared me, right? You know, like hell scared me. But heaven, I was like, man, like, like, that sounds like somewhere anybody would want to be. It sounds, it sounds like a good place to be, right? Where God is in His presence with Him. I think we all need to be singing Christian. We need to be singing that song like, like Mary Mary, that old song that Mary Mary sang, right? Right? You remember? I ain't gonna sing it for y'all. But I'm gonna read it for you, okay? Uh, I ain't gonna sing it, da da da. Uh, I gotta get myself together because I got some place to go. I guess I'm rapping it for you. I'm doing spoken word for you. I got, <laughs> I gotta get myself together because I got some place to go, and I'm praying when I get there, I'll see everyone I know. I wanna go to heaven. I wanna go to heaven. Said I wanna go. I wanna go to heaven. Do you wanna go? Is that? I know y'all were looking. I see some faces y'all thought I was about to sing. I was not about to sing that. Uh, but is this a place where you want to go? Christian, we're going to our eternal home where we have an eternal inheritance. Heaven. With God. And our inheritance is what it is and as glorious as it is, because it's with God. It wouldn't be heaven without God. Like, like we want to be with God, amen? And that's where we're heading if you are a Christian. But we will be with him. You know what Peter's reminding me, even as we were looking at last week, as we're talking about the context of the saints that he's writing to, right? You, you know what Peter's reminder of heaven did for these suffering saints. It gave them hope in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their persecution. It gave them hope. Where in, in that life, they were being beaten, battered, bruised, killed for their faith. But they, like every other Christian, being reminded to look to their eternal inheritance where they'll be with God 
You know what that should do for us here in the room? In our suffering, in our trials, in our challenges, as many as they are on a week-to-week basis, on a daily basis. You know what that should do when we are reminded here from Peter about heaven? It should also give you hope. It should also give us hope. Hope. A living hope. One that is not dead. So this inheritance is being kept in heaven. But look at what else is going on with our inheritance. Look at the end of verse 5, or the rest of verse 5 says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right? So God is protecting this inheritance by his power. What it says. He's guarding it with his omnipotent, all-powerful strength. Omnipotent just means all-powerful, right? So, so, so peep this. Here, here, here's what this means, Christian. It means that nothing can break in and steal your inheritance. It also means that nothing you did or are doing or will do if you are a Christian will prevent you from receiving your inheritance in heaven. This isn't a license to sin, though. This isn't an encouragement to go and do you know, these different things. And if you are a Christian, you don't desire to do those different things. We do fall, we do struggle, we are tempted. Thanks be to God. We have an advocate before the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who represents us before him and who is our propitiation for our sins. He was our substitute, right, for our sins. As we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Amen? All of that's true. That's true. It's not a license to go set it up, right? But nothing you do, or nothing you did, or nothing you will do as a Christian will prevent you from receiving this eternal inheritance. Right? The person who is giving it God is also keeping it in a secure place. Heaven. And protecting protecting it by his power. Right? It's like how Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 35-39, that nothing can separate Christians from the love of God. That's beautiful news, right? Listen to Romans 8, 35-39. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No. In all these things. So he's answering that question, right? What will separate us? He says, no. In verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. That's good news. That's good news this afternoon. Again, 
Will we even see this in First Peter? Yes. He who is holy has called us to live a holy life. Right? Yeah, we want to live a life worthy of the gospel. And as Christians, you will desire that and you will seek to do that. Right? What's amazing and I think freeing about this and hopeful about this truth is that nothing can pluck you out of God's hand. Once you are in his hand, you are in his hand as a Christian, as a genuine Christian. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And lastly, notice again the already but not yet aspect of this inheritance, right? Look back with me at the end of verse 5. It says, For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay? What this basically means is, and as I've been saying throughout the sermon, is that Christian, if you are a Christian, you are saved. If you put your trust genuinely in Jesus, you are saved. But you are being saved in that Jesus is coming back to take you home. In that Jesus is coming back to take us all home who are his. This is not home. Sin is still rampant. I mean, we were just coming here on the way to church and uh, yeah, like there was a homicide, right? Baby? Like it was a homicide. Like literally as we're driving to church, we see, you know, uh, fire trucks, you know, ambulances, the police, zoom, 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 running, you know, passing by us as we're on our way to church. Somebody was killed. Sadly. That's not heaven. That's not hope. With with the sin struggles, with the things that we suffer with, right? As we as we grieve the loss of loved ones and friends, as we battle depression and anxiety, as we have issues. All throughout our personal lives, marriages, single life, etc., etc., you name it. That's not life. That is to come. Right? Our salvation has a final destination. And that's heaven. These passages, I'm just going to read here and close us here now. For these passages will be fully and completely realized. Listen to Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And then also Revelation 22. As I close, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. 
for the former things have passed away. Revelation 22, 3-4. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is where we're headed, Christian. To a place with a person, God himself, where he's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning, no more death, no more drugs, no more alcohol, no more any of those things. All those things will be passed away. And we'll be with him. And the Bible says here that we'll see him. We'll see him. Don't you want to see him? You will see him, Christian. We will see him. Christian, we have a living hope. We have a glorious inheritance. Let's pray together as the team comes back up. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, amazing reminder this hopeful reminder that we have a living hope, not a dead hope, and that we have a glorious inheritance. Oh God, we are looking forward to seeing you. We look forward to seeing you. We look forward to being around the throne, worshiping you forever and ever. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving the saints here at CACC. Thank you for saving people from all times, Lord, from eternity past, Lord, to present. Through your sheer mercy and your grace. And God, thank you for still being willing and able and mighty to save anyone who would turn from their sin and turn to you. God, I pray that anyone among us doesn't know you, God. That they would latch on to the living hope that you are offering. That they would latch on to this glorious inheritance that can be theirs too. If they would turn to you, O oh Lord. Please help them not to harden their heart. Please soften their heart. Put your spirit in them. God, I pray that this even motivates us as we go the rest of this day and as we go into this next week, Lord, with all that we may be preparing for and things unplanned. Pray that this gives us hope, Lord, in our life, in our struggles, in our sufferings. Pray the reminder of us knowing who we are as Christians and whose we are yours. And you would help us, Lord, to live a life worthy of the gospel the rest of this day, this week, the weeks ahead, and so forth and so forth. And that we would live not with our hope here and banking on things here, but that we would live heavenwardly. Even as Colossians 3 tells us, to 
to set our minds on, not to set our minds on things of the earth, but to set our minds on things that are in heaven on you. Help us to do that more and more. Help us to talk about heaven. Help us to, to encourage us as saints, Lord, to remind us of heaven. That that's where we're headed. Soon, you tell us, oh Lord, in Revelation, in the last book, that you are coming soon. You say, I am coming soon. Help us to find hope in that. That you are coming soon. Help us to be ready. Help us to be trusted. And hopeful. We pray all of this in your name. In the matchless name of Amen. Amen.